Traumatic brain injury. What is it? What effect, if any, has it had on religion? These are some of the questions we'll talk about in today's show. As always, it's important to remember, not all questions have answers, and that's okay. You have to have the courage to face the unknown when you're off the reservation. Welcome to the show. We are your hosts. I'm Eric, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely wife, Garrison. Hello. You can follow us on Twitter, retweets, and all that good stuff, and all the support you can show are much, much, much appreciated. I'm at Eric Pelham, E-R-I-K-P-E-L-H-A-M. And I am at Garamone, G-A-R-R-I-M-O-N-E. little background on that. Her name is Garrison. And the magic that she brings to the world is known as Garamones. Aww. So, uh, welcome to the show. We're, uh, we're, we're definitely hitting our one, one, one a month goal. Um, almost. Almost. 28, 28 days of February was a quite enough days to squeak in, but it's March the 1st, and we're getting our uh, February episode in today, and we'll get another one out before the end of March for sure. Today is a traumatic brain injury. Um, that's, uh, going to be interesting because I've got a uh, personal anecdotes galore to go along with that. And, <laughs> um, misspent youth. Yes. Uh, but before we get into that, I always, I like to promote a podcast at the top of the show that I've been listening to. Uh, that's deep bro with Christina Pazinski. She's a stand up comedian that has a bachelor's degree in philosophy, uh, her husband is Tom Segura. They do a joint podcast. They call it Your Mom's House. That is a really, really, really funny, just silly, nonsensical podcast where they just make fun of stuff, and it's really good. And they're a great married duo of comedians that are really hilarious. But she does one on her own called That's Deep, Bro, where she sits down with other stand-up comedians and generally funny people, writers, and those kind of folks, and they talk about deep subjects. And it gets it gets deep, but it also gets light, and they have fun. And, you know, she, 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 she definitely goes into some terrain that I don't 100% agree with, but the fact that she's doing a very sort of candid exploration of her own life philosophies sort of on air for everybody else to check in with is cool and interesting, and you can hear her growth over the trajectory. I think she's on episode 13 or 14 I think now and I've heard all of them so far and they're they're good they're definitely a lot worth listening to but uh, you you guys ought to check that out if you get a chance that's good um I also we were gonna we were gonna do a show earlier in February which this would have been uh much more on point at that point but the uh the actual podcast is ongoing it's mortified I don't know if you have heard about it it's it's so fabulous it's people standing up reading from their journals from when they were younger and stupider and all kinds of errs and it's hysterical it's wonderful anyway uh I was specifically I was talking about their uh February the 14th podcast which was all about uh love and unrequited love and wished it was not requited love and it was <laughs> awesome anywho they they uh i listen to them on stitcher because that's the platform that we have our podcast on but uh they're on many platforms you can find that out and uh mortified um there's a uh, great documentary I believe it's called Mortified. Too, it is Mortified, it? the movie, which yeah. which is just filming several of the episodes. They 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 do live shows in different cities, uh, and they do them in Los Angeles, where we're located, every few months. But they also do them uh, around the country. And if you you know look online, look up Mortified dot com, you can find out where they are currently going. And if you have wonderful journals of your own that you would like to read from and be mortified yourself, you can um, put in a request to be part of the show. Anyway, it's pretty awesome, mortified. Um, and so uh, this week, too, uh, that brings us into our favorite things, just in general. Um, I had a, I just wanted to mention this real quick in passing. I watched a movie, it was an independent, crowdfunded movie called Blue Ruin. 
Very mm. dark, but really good movie. It, it, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. It's on Netflix. You can check that out. But that's just sort of a, hey, check it out thing. To This week, for my favorite thing, I want to talk about uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I, I've been doing this stuff for about five years. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a form of submission grappling for what for the for <clears throat> excuse me for those of you that don't know anything about it it's basically you're wrestling with someone and you try to get them into some sort of a joint lock or a chokehold till they say uncle and it's the oldest form of human fighting and it's really really cool because you can do it free of traumatic brain injury ironically being the topic of the show because there's no kicking and punching um, I have had some sprained joints, and in the extra training I've done around the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, specifically with stand-up wrestling, I've gotten some some relatively significant injuries from that. We actually spent uh, <laughs> Valentine's Day a year ago in the emergency room with one of those uh, yeah, uh, I've, mentioned I've got uh, my knee injuries. Really, got my knee really torn up, but one of the reasons I'm, th- I'm, you know, it's one of my favorite things and I'm really thankful for it is because I'm back now after about a month and a half, two months. I've been back on the mat training after almost a year out because of that injury, and I'm just so thankful that I have something in my life that I I love, love, love to do, and it keeps me in great physical shape. And it's not only that, but it also it 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 pushes me to make myself healthier in other aspects of my life so that I can train harder. It's really been a wonderful thing, and just you know, if you're ever if, if, if you feel like there's this empty thing in your life, like, you know, your job, your your family life, all that stuff is important and it's fulfilling. But everybody needs a thing. They need the thing they, they, they do. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing like finding your thing, that thing that you just love to do more than anything. You can always stop what you're doing and go do it. You, you know, uh, and and if you can find something like that that also keeps you healthy you know, by creating a little bit of a strenuous effort, even if it's just hiking in the woods or riding a bicycle or, you know, anything, it's such a fantastic thing to have in your life is that thing that, that you just love to do that also keeps you healthy and in shape. So I just encourage everybody to always stay on the search for that, um, for whatever it is for the individual. Cause that's just a really, I'm just really thankful I have that in my life. Yeah. I, um, I I have acting as that sort of thing. I'm, I've sort of been on a extended hiatus from that, but hoping to get back into that this year. But my favorite thing, um, I I belong to a network marketing company called Arbon, uh, and network marketing is my favorite thing. And I I had a sort of a, a antiquated idea of what it is, but there is a movie which is what I really want to talk about, called Rise of the Entrepreneur, A Search for a Better Way. It's a documentary film. It's a little under an hour. It's well worth your time to watch uh, because it gives you uh, a great uh, sort of overview of the industry of network marketing and why it is such a great thing for people like us in this time in the world. Cool. Um, And uh, today in Stupid Shit. Um, I'm just going to say, in general, country music. Um, <laughs> we we diverge greatly on this because I love country music. Garrison loves it. I, I like some of the old stuff, you know, the old Four Horsemen, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash era of country. But, man, the, the, the new stuff is so funny. It's just, it's so simplistic and it's... And so much of it's just really like just mass manufactured to appeal to the lowest common denominator. This guy that I'm friends with on Facebook, and he's given me permission to quote him and use him in any form I choose whatsoever. His name is Scott Long, and he is fucking hilarious. (laughs) He is funny. He's one of my favorite fucking people (laughs) on Facebook. He wrote this, and he was like, his post was, this is every country song. And I'm just going to read you what his post was. We were driving down a dirt road in my truck. We had some beer, and my dog was in the back. We saw the moonlight, which is best if you're in a very conservative, overly racist part of the South. We had premarital sex, but it's okay when I sin. At least we ain't queers. Jesus value God, America, the end. Scott Long. (laughs) (laughs) And that basically sums up at least 50% of what's on the modern market is country music. But part of what is great about country music, and not all country music, but the best country music, is the fact that it does have a nice narrative. It's a story. It's a good good story, and and we need that in music, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. 
what what we need in music is just good music. And unfortunately, <laughs> well, yeah, well, okay, qualify. well, just like in every genre, there's crap and then there's good stuff. There's just a there's a lot of crap in country music. No, yes. I I I don't disagree with that. But the stuff that's good is really good. I, you've played me a couple of songs over the years that I do like, but just as a whole, man, if you flip on a modern country station, you're just going to be ear raped by shit. It's just going to be somebody smearing doo-doo inside your ear canals. See, I feel that way about 70s rock. <laughs> and that's where you're wrong. <laughs> um, Agree to disagree. <laughs> um, that's basically what our vows should have just been in our marriage. Should have just agree been agree to, to, agree to disagree. disagree. <laughs> well, that's kind of what they were. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's get into the show. Traumatic brain injury in religion. Now, there's been a lot of hullabaloo over the last, you know, in recent history about traumatic brain injury, mostly because of football. It's always been a thing around boxing. You've heard people use the term punch drunk, and now they know that that's just, a re- that's just the result of repeated uh, concussions and many concussions that take your place over long periods Your brain sloshing around in your skull. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, physiologically, what happens is, is every time you take a blow to the head, and your brain is traumatized. There, your brain itself is surrounded by this this mesh of connective tissue that sort of acts as a suspension system to hold it into the center of your skull. And as you bang your head around and and bash it, and you get concussed over time, that connective tissue starts to break and it doesn't really heal. And what happens is you get a guy like a football player or a boxer or somebody who's got just repeated like hundreds and hundreds of many head traumas. And in every one of those, a piece of that connective tissue is tearing or ripping or stretching too far and not properly healing itself. Then what happens is as the brain, as you bang the head, then there's no more suspension system. There's nothing to stop the brain from colliding very violently and rudely with the sidewalls of your skull, basically. And over time, that just quickly, once the connective tissue is gone, it quickly starts to have an effect. You see in in the fight game is where you really start noticing is a guy who's been known to have what they call a strong chin or an iron chin or an iron jaw, and he can, or they say he can really take a punch. And then all of a sudden, it just seems like he gets really easy to knock out. This is something you see in MMA and in boxing both. Um, and Chuck Liddell is a fighter specifically that I'll mention that uh, you notice this. This guy, when he was young and in his prime, he could just tuck his chin down and lead with his head, and he could take a massive shot. But then towards the latter part of his career, he got knocked out by some punches where you were like, man, that didn't even look that hard. You know, like that looks like a punch I might have even been able to take. You probably couldn't, but it just didn't look like that hard of a punch. It looked like something he would have laughed at, you know, a few years before. But what's happened is is that his brain has just finally gotten to the point that it can't take any more of those types of injuries because there's no more suspension system and there's no more shock absorber around the brain. So every time he gets hit, it's a very violent thing because it's like, you know, when you if you've ever been in a vehicle that's overloaded on the suspension where you're actually riding on the axle, man, when you hit a speed bump, it feels like it just jars your car to pieces. And that's essentially what's happened to the brain once all that connective tissue is gone. So that being said... You know, and this is recent knowledge, but this is not a new problem. This is something that's been plaguing humanity for a long time. And a lot of the symptoms of traumatic brain injury are stuff like auditory visual hallucinations and stuff like that. Well, if you go back into, you know, what people claim to have been divinely inspired prophecies and visions and stuff like that you you take what we now know about the neurological functions of the brain and you start going back in history and you hear these descriptions that these quote-unquote prophets of old had there's a there are certain common threads just like any mythology or you know uh hallucinatory quality you can take two people that are completely from different cultures on opposite sides of the earth and feed them both LSD and there will be commonalities in their hallucinations for the simple reason that we're all human. We all have sort of the same fundamental firing principles in the electromagnetic portions of our brain and they sort of create similar patterns when they're stimulated in specific ways. And that is the same for, that's why you see like in mythology, you see like recurrences of images like, you know, uh, this overlord type god, Zeus, the Abrahamic god, um, um, 
uh, Thor and Odin and you know the 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 different archetypes are the same around is because when people have these quote unquote visions they a lot of times see kind of the same thing it's just different enough that it sort of almost always looks like that person but the traits of the person are the you know sort of the same yeah, across I think cultures. that's informed by the society in which the person that's having those yeah. is uh, there's living. Cult- there's there, there, there's cultural influences yeah. but then there's there's also the whole uh you know because we're all humans there's also that sort of commonality genetic. yeah there's that it's a i believe that archetypes are something that's almost something programmed into our genetic material more than it is um yeah, i think our genetic memory thing. yeah yeah, and then how that archetype expresses itself in our conscious minds is where cultural influences and you know and all that kind of stuff, societal influences come into sway. Yeah. So you talk about you go back and you talk about like the Old Testament prophets, you know, and you and and you start wondering like, hmm, I wonder how many of those guys actually just had like traumatic brain injury, like they had a fall or something, and and then afterwards they had these visions, but they were really just having like the combination of migraine headaches combined with auditory and visual hallucinations associated with a brain malfunction because of either or a trauma even epilepsy or, because yeah, I know absolutely. several epileptics absolutely that, uh, you go into those mini strokes you know yeah. people have like mini strokes where absolutely. they get into these like catatonic states and they come out of them and they say they've been in a tunnel they've seen light you know there's a common description of what they yeah, had they, and, they co- and the, the ones that aren't really strokes but they call them neural anomalies same thing yeah exactly or you know, and then you get into all the other brain phenomenon of you know uh, uh, throwing a clot. You know where you—that's uh, a form aneurysm. of a stroke, and, and you got aneurysms. You got all these different things. Well, you begin to start start like seeing this sort of common thread. Like, oh, holy shit! You know, like there's there's this common thread. Well, there's an even more recent instance. Now, I talked about in our first podcast, and I've mentioned it a few times. But I was raised Seventh Day Adventist. In the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, the Seventh-day Adventist religion was founded in the 1840s. It's not a very old tradition as far as, you know, Christian denominations go. Catholicism being the oldest, and then technically Lutheranism was the first Protestantism because Martin Luther himself was the first Protestant. You know, he and then everybody, all other Protestant religions were just versions of Christianity that protested against uh, Catholicism and the and Martin Luther was the 1600s. So you're talking about you know. Well, actually, Henry VIII when he divorced himself from the church, so he could then divorce his first wife and marry his second wife, would basically be the oh, that's more true. the beginnings yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Pro- of Protestant. But there, they didn't even diverge that much from Catholicism, other than well, no, to it say just, that it the, just had the Pope is gone, right? And the, tr- the and the actual, King of England, the actual was the head sort of, the of formulaic really radical different religion would be lutheranism right because lutheran actually said actually established different doctrines yeah you know what i'm saying like the church of england was basically catholicism but with the king instead of the pope yeah it's just it just changed who the head of the church right but even the liturgy and all that stuff was basically the same yeah and uh but real protestantism came about through martin luther which was only like the 1600s and then you know a couple hundred but the door was open because of what henry had done um, and then, so in uh, the eight, in the early 1800s, there was a man by the name of William Miller who was uh, he he would originally served in uh, the War of 1812 as a general and distinguished himself there as and he is also known to be a deist, which was a very common thing in the early. Uh, years of our church it was very it was a very chic thing in europe and they suspect that many of our founding fathers were actually deist deist or deist however you want to say it um well william miller was a deist and then he began to study uh the bible and and became a baptist because of a miracle or quote-unquote miracle he'd seen at war now that's just an important thing to note that that William Miller and then he eventually developed a religion around whom developed a following called Millerites. Then we're going to cut to a person by the name of Ellen G. White was what her original was what her uh, married name became. She was originally Ellen G. Harmon was her was her uh, maiden name, but she was born in the 1820s. Her family was a sort of uh, a middle, upper middle, middle to middle to upper middle class family. Her her father owned a hat company where he made and sold hats. They did they they did okay. Um, and she was born in eighteen twenty seven, and in early uh, eighteen thirty seven, she was the 
a victim of some bullying at school. And after school, she turned around because someone called out her name and had already hurled a rock. And when she turned around, the rock hit her in the nose and knocked her unconscious. And she was in a coma for, I'm sorry, I'm, it was a, I think it was about a week, a week to two weeks she was in a coma. She was out for quite a while. And then um, uh, her family had become involved with this Millerite movement at about this time, too. And one of the things William Miller did was in the 1830s, he began calculating when he thought Jesus was going to come back. And he said that it was going to be, and as they got closer and closer, at the camp meeting, uh, which was a gathering of, if, you, if you're not familiar with sort of more traditional Christian, especially this was a sort of American phenomenon uh, because the frontier America was so spread out. They had what they call camp meetings. And they'd have these camp meeting revivals and stuff like that where annually or sometimes every other year they would get together in large groups out in the prairies and the fields and the woods. And they would set up tents and they would have huge services and you know, people would uh, preach and there would be revivals. and It would just be an all day, every day kind of thing for, you know, anywhere from a few days to a few weeks. I went to several of these things growing up and Ellen White's family went to one in the 1840s and which time she got quote unquote saved. She felt the spirit mover. She stepped forward, got saved, got baptized into this Miller movement. Well, William Miller had established that Jesus was going to come back on October the 22nd in 1844. He had just calculated up based off of some, you know, arcane biblical terminology and calculations that that he's one of many people who have attempted to do this. Well, these Millerites were the kind of people that it sort of happened recently with that guy a few years ago where people gathered together. They sold off their worldly possessions. They were literally like just standing. Jesus continues to be tardy to the party. Yeah. And they just and they and that that event of October the 22nd, 1844, is referred to in the history of these particular people, these religions, as the Great Disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> it's And it's capitalized, capital G, Great, capital D, Disappointment. It's an event. It's a, a form, it's a, it's a, it's a noun. It's that a reminds proper noun. me of my aunts, uh, my old aunts, uh, Virginia aunts, uh, called the Civil War the Recent Unpleasantness. Yeah. With a capital R and a capital E. Yeah. Um, and so after, very shortly after, um, the great disappointment, <laughs> Ellen White started having visions. Now, she had had headaches and health problems associated with her head injury from the time she'd had the head injury. But this great disappointment was such a setback and such a soul-crushing experience for these people that coincidentally, and I'm making air quotes around coincidentally, she started having visions shortly after the great disappointment wherein God and or various angels would come to her with inside knowledge about the state of affairs of mankind, the things they should and shouldn't do, and interpretations of Scripture and all this other stuff. And she was like, See, she was born in 27, this was 44. She was about 18 years old, 17, 18 years old when the vision started, okay? So I, I just want to make a historical note here, which I think is probably apropos for a, a, a lot of this going forward. But if you put it in historical uh, context, it is the Victorian era, which was uh, incredibly uh, narrow-minded, very strict, very um, uh, boxed. And the clothing that those Victorians wore, both men and women, wore corsets. Now, corsets, if you don't know what a corset is, it is a binding garment that goes underneath your clothes that is laced as tight as you possibly can because the standard of beauty was the smaller the waist, the more uh, beautiful the person, and that way your hips looked larger, and it was sexually exciting, I guess. Anyway... Uh, it, it has been proven that that kind of binding restricts blood flow, restricts breath, and creates all kinds of problems in the brain. Well, that's when women also started having, like, that's when swooning and the vapors. That's, that's and they because used, they couldn't breathe. Exactly. And they didn't get bl- proper blood flow yeah. to any of their organs. But I also want to say men also, in, during this time period, were corseted as well. Really? Yes. Um, there was a whole, uh, the dandy, the Victorian dandy 
was was cor- corseted as well. A little later, it started a little later in the eighteen hundreds, but they were corseted almost as much, and it was a huge um, fashion well, these, thing. D- these people traditionally, the ones we're talking about, were were, were not quite like Mennonites, but they were. But corsets, corsets were still, I mean, you couldn't jiggle a bit. Oh, sure, sure. It was probably more important for them, but they wore mostly as an aus- a measure of austerity than a measure of vanity. You know yeah, what I'm absolutely. saying? So they probably wore them, but it well, would have no, been, yeah. been uh, more as a, you know, like, let's lace it up extra tight to show the Lord how much we love. <laughs> and also, they also um, uh, were, uh, there are all kinds of different um, devices to uh, create austerity within the person, um, austerity chairs where you couldn't sit on the back. I mean, there are all kinds of different things. It, it's fascinating if you want to look it up. But all of these things contributed to poor health, to not being able to breathe fully, and to restricted blood flow, which I think is key in what we're talking about today. A- absolutely. And you know, while we're on that topic too, we can go ahead and mention that. You know, it, it was not. You know, uh, also, you know, just historical facts that are relevant to this discussion of, you know, brain. People drank out of lead goblets. There was a lot of mercury in foods. The, Absolutely. The, the knowledge of the effect of heavy metals on the internal organs and the human brain, none of this stuff existed. Matter of fact, it wasn't until the 1800s that dissecting a cadaver was even legal in most places. So they really had no idea, you know, how... The human body worked at all. Let mm-hmm. I mean, they there were still like on how childbirth came into existence. Most people, the average layperson especially, had no fucking idea whatsoever how babies were actually made. Uh, common medicines during the day were mercury, arsenic, and um, iodine, which are helpful. Yeah, <laughs> for going batshit insane exactly. and then dying. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then and syphilis was common and that was a problem, you know, yeah. until we had penicillin, there was no cure for syphilis. It was just there was a there was this like cornucopia of things that would cause mental disorder. Yeah. And they all sort of have this similar symptom of auditory and visual hallucination. Absolutely. But it's specifically Ellen White. Now, Ellen White is considered a divinely inspired prophetess by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Her and her husband were key founding members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And she wrote volumes, many books on prophecy and how to live and all this other stuff. Now, one of the odd things, just as a side thing to note, she was a huge proponent of vegetarianism, even as early as the 1840s. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is dogmatically vegetarian. Now, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, but we were what's called, in that regard, Badventists, because we ate what was biblically clean Yeah, there are two factions, meat. though, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. But, but the vast majority... Like yeah. probably at least three quarters, if not maybe as much as ninety percent of Adventists are vegetarian. Like you, at every Adventist church, if you have a potluck, there will not be meat at the potluck. Yeah, there'll be lots of haystacks and sugar. Oh, there's a salt shaker and a and a sugar bowl next yeah. to every plate, but there is no. Which meat. also sugar has its own uh, <laughs> proponents as altering brain chemistry. So. So anyway, and and she. Uh, so the, uh, the the medical definition of traumatic brain injury is a non-degenerative, non-congenital insult to the brain from an external mechanical force leading to permanent or temporary impairment of cognitive, physical, and psychosocial functions with an associated dimension, diminished or altered state of consciousness. So that's a key part because altered state of consciousness is also, you know, we're talking about times when people would be experiencing these altered states of consciousness, but the only explanation they had for an altered state of consciousness was they would was was that they were entering into a different realm. And it would either be interpreted as the realm of the devil or the realm of God because those were the only two contexts that they had for these altered states it was either of the of god or of the devil there was no and then it was sort of like a and she was one of the few people from this era that would enter into these because she would enter into these vision-like states okay into these altered states and people would watch it happen her eyes would sort of roll back and she would 
by by account she would develop like superhuman strength like supposedly one time she held up an uh a, like a 50 pound family bible at arm's length for like an hour and a half or something she would have these sort of feats of strength but these are also feats that you see with people who can be hypnotized and are also in these traumatic brain type situations where they're detached feats from of their... strength it's a festivus miracle <laughs> it was it was a plain old festivus miracle <laughs> And but for her, fortunately, she was in the war in, in, in the context of a personal experience where her visions were being interpreted as divinely inspired because we weren't far in 1840s from burning witches at the stake still. And a lot of times that's what happened, especially to women that would claim to have these insights and stuff like that. So she was at, um, and, and the, to this day, I, I shit you not to this day. All good Adventists have a complete works of Ellen G. White. Oh yeah, hardbound. Yeah, I've seen it. It's a that. recognizable thing. It's got. There's even because some of the Adventists have their own publishing company, so they have a they have a very specific look to them. And I can recognize them from across the room because they were in every single home I visited before I basically graduated high school. You know, growing up in Tennessee, everybody had a works of Ellen White. Even if it was one of those things that if you were a poor family that converted Seventh Day Adventist, one of the elders in the church would buy you a set of her works and then like mentor you through them. Like it was considered like she was div- she was a prophet. She was designed divinely inspired by God to share this knowledge with us. And the reality is, is that she was a victim of traumatic brain injury. When she was nine years old, she caught a fucking rock to the face and it knocked her out into a coma and she barely survived. And, and she had ongoing health problems and every single physiological description of what she experienced as a result of these visions or whatever absolutely marries nicely with what we know about traumatic brain injury at this point in human history. It'd be interesting to see the statistics on those people that have had near-death experiences and how many of them actually have either experienced prior head trauma or head trauma that led them into that state or, or you know, or exactly. Or brain cancer or, yeah, you know, something any of these. that is directly relatable to, to the brain and, yeah, and some sort absolutely. of injury to the brain. And that's my hypothesis. And there's no way to prove this because there's no written records that can validate it. And there's certainly, and then there's obviously no physiological evidence that can, that can, that can do it. But what we can do is take the descriptions of their experiences. Like there were... A couple of people in Ellen White's world that made it a point of being there when she would have these visionary states, and they would do as detailed a description of exactly just what they were observing as possible. And when you read these observations, it is dead nuts exactly what you would predict somebody who'd had a traumatic brain injury, especially if it went untreated. Like, there were probably some pressure fluids in her brain that we know now we could have relieved Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? By by operations and stuff like that, that we probably could have fixed a lot of what was wrong with her with medication and with, with brain surgery. You know, it's interesting. You got me thinking. I, I don't know much about Edgar Casey. I mean, he's he he's not religious in the context that we normally talk about on the show, but he was definitely, he was a theosophist, and then he just became a spiritualist. But he also had... Um, pro- he he prophesied, and he he had uh, uh, amazing uh, medical knowledge that he didn't have in his uh, normal everyday life when he was in uh, trance or in seance and stuff. Wonder if he and how about Nostradamus? Wonder if he had a traumatic brain injury. Well, I mean, also I thought think I think there's definitely a case to be made for you know a lot of these people having actual physiological issues, but there's also a huge case to be made for a lot of these guys just knowing that if that they're just con men like they know if they pull off this like oh look me i'm entering into a trance like state and then they roll their eyes up and they gyrate around a oh, little no, bit you I know think what i mean there's so always i think there's going to be a, a percentage of of those but i'm talking about two people nostradamus and edgar casey who have had a huge track record of actual correct um you know, sort of their their predictions have been there have been more correct ones than there were yeah, incorrect ones. But there's a I certain just find amount it of fascinating. Like, it would be cool to know if they yeah. had suffered brain injury as well. It, and there's you know, all right. So as far as accuracy of predictions of stuff, it's like I could sit down right now and describe things that are going to take place in the next hundred years, and I bet you I could have a more than fifty percent. Maybe to, I mean know. I don't know, but I mean, and then Ellen White also. You have to agree that the the modern science is coming out and has proved that that vegetarianism is actually a more healthful 
in, well, especially back then before refrigeration was common in everybody's house, if you were able to have a, access to a variety of vegetables, it probably would have been healthier, especially back then, for you to eat nothing but vegetables because meat didn't really keep very well. Well, there, there's a study that came out not so long ago. I wish I, I had the actual study name and more direct info on it, but it says that vegetarians on a whole live a uh, X amount of years longer oh, than yeah. well, non-vegetarians. And, and one of the things about Seventh-day Adventists is Seventh-day Adventists are, have actually been studied in some of these studies where they study groups that have a, an unusual longevity. Seventh-day Adventists mm-hmm. live an abnormally longer period of time than the average people do. It's a fact. And it, and her, um, she has a whole, she has a couple of books on healthy living, and vegetarianism is just one of many things that she talks about she talks about things like drinking lots of water you know diminishing your sugar intake she talks about a lot of things that are like wow okay that's really good but that was also some of the emerging science of the time was that sort of stuff and also around her swirls constant accusations of plagiarism yeah because because she was a an invalid growing up she did do a lot of reading her family had access to books because they did have a little bit of money and there's a lot of supposition that because and back then you know there was no internet that you could cross reference anybody's writing with and have a bot go on the internet and find the original document that you plagiarized you know if you lived cuz she had started out growing up in Maine and eventually moved out west i think mm-hmm. she died in california um and uh, so if you read a book when you were a child in Maine and then wrote a book saying basically the same thing in Michigan 20 years later, there was a pretty good chance that there might be some vague, you know, marginal accusations of, of plagiarism. But there's a good chance that nobody that was reading the book you wrote 20 years later had even read or heard of the first. You know what I'm saying? Like they're just there, there but was also not a lot I think there's, you know, just coming back to sort of a more technological thing there. I, I do believe that there is such a thing as sort of the global brain. Sure. I believe that that, you know, how can you account for all the uh, things that happen seem to happen in groups that certain certain people get the same idea at the same time around the world. Plus, you know, any she, contact. she could read a book by somebody who was claiming that vegetarianism was good. And if it intuitively made sense to her, then she could also claim that that she'd been and then and if she associated guided exactly, to that book exactly. yeah. oh absolutely and yeah. that that information had been presented to her because of, of her divine you know yeah. divine connection or whatever the whole point of bringing all this up was just to begin questioning like you know because you read especially if you go back into like daniel the book of daniel in the old testament the book of revelation in the new testament have prophecies in them that are fucking trippy as shit like i mean some of the shit you're like Dude, I've done hundreds of trips on LSD, and I haven't seen anything like some of the shit they describe in Revelation. Like, man, those motherfuckers were out there. And you wonder if, like, John the Revelator, who wrote John, who wrote Revelation, or the prophet Daniel that wrote Daniel, you wonder if these guys didn't have, like, a brain tumor or something that was, like, dramatically affecting their ability to see, you know. Or, or if... And another possible explanation, and a lot of people hypothesize about, you know, Moses in the burning bush and him having a vision and stuff like that. Like, in every cultural tradition going way back into human history and tribal, tribal, there have been, you know, hallucinogenic plants that have been used by the mystics and the shamans to have visions of the other world or the other side or of heaven or of hell or of God or of the devil. And you wonder, you know, when you start stacking all these things up, so everything from lead goblets to possible brain tumors, to traumatic brain injury. You know, you start adding disease, all these disease. Like you know, just, or- yeah, and you start adding, you start taking all these variables into, into consideration, and it starts to actually give you sort of a a way of seeing this more tribal, this more, there's written history from this like sort of Bronze and Iron Age tribal era of humanity through the eyes of an ability to understand it more scientifically because mm-hmm. now you're talking about oh okay so now what we're seeing is not these are not the cogent thoughts of a clear thinking person these are the ramblings of someone who's had traumatic brain injury or was doing hallucinogens or drank too many shots out of lead goblets or whatever or had too much mercury i mean geez like you were saying they used mercury as medicine absolutely yeah <laughs> And um, so, and arsenic, yeah. And arsenic so was the only known cure for syphilis for uh, hundreds of years. Wow. 
Um, there's another thing, but they didn't know that you got syphilis for a long time. They didn't realize that was a sexually transmitted Absolutely, disease. Absolutely, yeah. You know, like it was. So that's the um, that's the bulk of what I wanted to go over. There's obviously no, um, you know, sort of final analysis here because there's no evidence. This is more of a of an alternative explanation for a historical phenomenon and a repeating historical phenomenon. It's one of the things that's been, you know, seen in every culture, every every culture, every tribe, every group has something in its history where some visionary, and I'm putting quotes around that, you know, actually physically saw visions or thought they did. And that in influenced and informed their policy making and their way of living and stuff like that. Whereas now when people like if Garrison came to me and was like, so I walked into the living room today and pottery that's on the table actually spoke to me and said that um, you and I need to become vegetarians because that's a healthier way to live. And also we need to get a welcome mat made out of aardvark skin. <laughs> I would be like that sounds exactly like something I would say. Well, she says this to me all the time. But <laughs> if if she said that to me, my first thought was like would be like we need to get you a cat scan. <laughs> Not holy shit, she's been divinely inspired by God to get us an or, aardvark. Or you know mat. those mushrooms you got from the farmers market? <laughs> I want some of those too. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we in in this modern era, and this is you know what's funny to me is like a modern Adventist say. If a modern Adventist child was struck by a rock in the face, got put into a coma, put in the hospital, they bring the kid home a few weeks later, everything seems to be going fine, and then one day the kid goes, Mommy, Daddy, I had a vision last night that, you know, uh, even if the kid claimed it was God or an angel, you've got a significant chance that that person's going to take that child back to the doctor and go, I don't think we fixed everything. There's still some busted shit going on in their head. Even though that person would say that about their own child and the traumatic brain injury that they obviously see in their own child, that person will still believe that Ellen G. White was divinely inspired by God, even though we all know. And part of her getting hit in the face with a rock is her personal story. She doesn't try to obfuscate that. There's no there's no denial that that event happened. So it's not like everybody else says, well, there was that one time she got hit by a rock and she's over here going, like, well, what rock? I don't know what you're talking about. I just get visions from God. She doesn't deny that. She claims to get hit by a rock, but because back then nobody was making the connection between traumatic brain injury or, you know, hey, she got smacked in the head with a rock when she was a kid. Maybe that explains why she sees things that don't actually happen. Um, there was no that wasn't even an all an, an available explanation back then but it is now well i think it's also interesting that uh we have such a uh, sort of a, a skew on our judgment as to what is um acceptable and what isn't and it some for some bizarre reason it, it, it's much more acceptable to believe that people in antiquity were capable of having visions and had a connection with God and stuff and uh, that, that we really aren't capable of having uh, now. Even the Catholic Church, um, there were these three little girls that uh, uh, said that they were uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, said that they had, um, uh, actually there were a couple of groups, said that they saw uh, visions of Mary and that she gave them uh, messages and things, and um, they built a shrine. They they were led to build a shrine, and and then miraculously water appeared at the shrine, and all these things. And th there was a rift in the Catholic Church. You know, some people, mostly the common people, believe the actual church never really sort of sanctioned that that actually happened. And the prophecies that they got actually were sealed within the Vatican, and they were supposed to be made. Um, yeah, uh, 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 available to everybody in like 1960 after the last of the second uh, group, the, the three girls died. And of course, we've heard nothing from that. Um, but I find it, I find it interesting that, um, yeah, I mean, George Bush supposedly uh, talks to God and there've been some other leaders sort of in the uh, Christian movement and stuff, but it's not the same thing. It's like it, it isn't given the same credence as those early prophets. What makes them, you know, why, why were they special? And now if people talk about miracles and things like that, people get poo-pooed and stuff like that. I mean, what made that believable? 
But now today, it's not believable. I mean, I think it's all hooey anyway. But what was it about in, you yeah. know, the, the early uh, times in the Christian world that, you know, all those prophets and all those saints and all that, you know, that was good. But now today, that's no longer applicable. I mean. Yeah. Where was the, where, where, you know, like, uh, well, it, it coincides with the invention of uh, a lot of our science. Like as soon as the basically, like as soon as the, as soon as we could. Uh, but that science existed then. Not all of it. No, you know, I we're mean, talking about like, uh, you know, as soon as we could cut open a cadaver and we had microscopes to look at what we were getting The knowledge of from. the science didn't come until later. But the actual scientific principles still existed then. Why are they not applicable when they're then when they're applicable now. When are you talking about? I'm talking about, you know, prior to any major scientific proof oh, well, there's, that's happened. You know, there's there, there, the, 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 the religious people would tell you it's because we've strayed so far from God that God doesn't play such an active role on the planet anymore. There's a number of their rationalizations for why that is the case. There's a funny uh, meme that you can find on the Internet where it shows the frequency of miracles as it relates to the invention of the camera and the video camera. No, that makes and as soon sense, as yeah. the as soon as the camera was invented, miracles immediately stopped. And then as soon as Photoshop was invented, miracles immediately <laughs> resumed. <laughs> that makes total sense. And it's like, yeah. It's, it's such bullshit. It, it is just such kills a, me. It, and I think part of it is that I think in all of us, and the reason like the Harry Potter movies appeal to us and... We all want to believe in magic. Absolutely. There's an inherent, you know, desire for there to be something outside of our corporeal uh, smallness. We all want something larger, I think. Well, we not only that, but I think that we want something larger and we want us to be the focus of that larger well, thing. Of course. You know, like, we that's all why want the, to be have superpowers. Right. I we're, mean, please. We're the center of the universe. Yeah. And that brings me to the fucktard of the week, too. Um, so several... You know, I think one of the earlier podcasts we did, I talked about how one in four Americans, Americans think the sun revolves around the earth. And that that literally left me, you know, dumbfounded. Yeah, he actually didn't speak for almost an hour. <laughs> I, I, I just had no words. I wasn't even sure what to do with that. Oh, it was blissful. And <laughs> fuck off. And um, then uh, in the in the precursor to the Super Bowl, you know, one of the things about the Super Bowl is, and this is something that's just interesting to note, is like you can gamble on everything around the Super Bowl. You can gamble on the coin toss. There's huge bets won and lost just over the coin toss. You know, there's, there's, um, you can bet. Uh, there are even bets on costume malfunctions. Oh, yeah. There's, there's every little facet and detail of it. And one of the in pieces of statistical information that came out about the Super Bowl, like normally they'll tell you like, you know, 1.6 metric tons of avocados will be used <laughs> to make guacamole this weekend for people to eat while they watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> and there's all these just randomly bizarre statistics that come out about it. Well, one of the ones that came out was that one in four Americans believe that God decides the outcome of the Super Bowl. Just, you know, let that wow. sink in for a second. That, Starving that, children in Africa, right. cancer, you know, all those things God just takes a respite from and focuses on the Americans' obscene pastime. If there is a football. God and there's a judgment day, I'm going to give that cocksucker a chance <laughs> to explain himself to me before I throat punch his fucking dumbass and b- back into the fucking Stone Age where he belongs. It is just that it's the most asinine thing in the world that some being capable of designing the entirety of the universe exactly. and, and the universe that we see Has through the Hubble telescope in who wins. Well, not even not not even that, but actually takes the time yeah. to affect the yeah. win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like influence the outcome yeah. of the game. Yeah, and that people believe that is astounding to me in the year 2015 and that 25% of the population i want to say of one of the most advanced countries technically yeah. that well technically that is true when you take every country on the planet we are one of the most advanced yeah. in that we're, we're in the we're top sli- half we're slipping on that but list yeah we're every falling year. down that list pretty pretty fucking dramatically yep and you know China and India, for fuck's sake, are about to pass us on that list in a exactly. lot of categories. So, you know, 
that you know we can sit here and laugh about these ancient superstitions and, and they seem so absurd and everything and yet still a significant percentage of the population believes that there's a divine being that's affecting the outcome of everything on this planet up to and including sporting events exactly oh and my favorite though is when you know a, a, a violent sporting event kickboxing, mixed martial arts, boxing, whatever. And then they beat the shit out of their opponent. And then immediately after winning, they're like, I have to thank God for this. He really working in my life. Yeah, really? Really? The guy's got like a giant Celtic cross with God is love tattooed on his back. He just beat someone unconscious. The referee had to tackle him to get him off the other guy. There's blood everywhere. And then he's he's going to thank his loving God. And as he jumped up off of his opponent, he licked his opponent's blood off the back (laughs) of his gloves in a primal fucking fit of rage and then thanked the loving God above for the victory over his opponent. Yeah. And the guy who, so we're talking about the Super Bowl, the guy who won, there was a, I watched the game. It's the only football game I watched all year this year, and I did watch. It was actually a good a good contest, the 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 sporting of it. The, the, the sporting of the sports ball was very sporty. Katy Perry was the best part. Absolutely. Um, I trade my left shark for that. <laughs> <laughs> all uh, right, you can have a pass. Um but the guy who there there was a play where you know one team was down by a few points um and the other team was who has got one of the best running backs in the business decided not to hand the ball to that guy they decided to pass the ball and if they had scored they would have won the game yep. and the and the opponents intercepted the ball on the goal line and that was the that was the game winning play that it really did if they hadn't been for that play they probably would have lost the game. And so the guy that did the interception, the guy that got the interception, said on national fucking television that he was that he had prayed a lot and that he was certain God had intended him to do great things during that game. And that's why he got that interception. And then conversely, God was really pissed at the other guy. Because he, guess. you know, I guess the quarterback that something. threw the interception didn't exactly, pray hard enough, yeah. yeah. You know, he done something terrible and uh, deserved to be punished, so it was his fault. So anyway, that's the show. Um, uh, coming up, um, uh, Cor- uh, Paul over at Coronify Me is putting together a very special episode for Rife Badawi. I just recorded a little something, sent it to him today. Um, be looking out for that. It's going to be really good. Uh, Paul's very passionate about the uh, Middle East and the effect of you know the of Islam on the human development, just like we are with Christianity. If you're interested in such things, he is like by far and away light years ahead of anybody else in the podcast world as far as what he's doing with Coronify Me. So check out Coronify Me. I know it's on iTunes and uh, Stitcher. Um, and, and when he does that episode, I'll certainly be tweeting that out. Um, yeah, I'm going to be taking the, uh, lead in a, a future episode also women in religion. Yes. The um, of women so in religion. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to have a real special guest. I think you'll really enjoy it. So, uh, stay tuned to our future episodes as well. And you can follow me again on Twitter at Eric Pelham at E-R-I-K-P-E-L-H-A-M. Um, send me a friend request on Facebook. I'm completely indiscriminate. I'm willing to offend everyone. And you can follow Garrison on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Gar- at Garamone, G-A-R-R-I-M-O-N-E. Uh, hit me with a follow. I'll follow you back. And also, I'm on Facebook at Garrison Burrell. All right. Thanks for joining us, and we'll check in with you guys soon. Thanks a lot. <laughs>